Welcome, gorgeous human, to your power podcast. My name is Em Rose, and I am a business, brain health, and personal development coach. I combine the passion that I have for science-based personal development with the experience that I have in business, and every day I get to work with powerful humans who want to create big, bold lives. I am here to educate you on the innate systems, processes, and functions that got me to where I am today. Those being the power of your brain, the profound functions of your body, and the compounding behaviors that we can use to leverage them. I am encouraging change in the narrative of what it means to create a big life. And that is by choosing to instead focus on the science of small behaviors. I educate on the tools behind the tools. I remove the bullshit. I'm here to make science sexy and I'm here to make caring about your brain and body badass. Most importantly, I'm here to show you how achieving everything that you have ever wanted for your life gets to be fucking easy. Hello, hello, gorgeous humans. I hope you have had a wonderful week. Welcome back to another episode. I am so happy that you're here as always. Today's episode is a very of the moment style episode. I thought this would be perfect to share. I feel like this is something that has been very prominent in my life lately. And I think that I was in avoidance of doing inner child work for a really long time. So once I actually started to, well, A, have the need to do inner child work more significantly than I ever have, (laughs) and B, take some time to actually understand the science of why it is so beneficial. I think for me it was always kind of like, I just don't see the point in doing that. That might have been a little bit of my avoidance, but you know me, I like to know the science behind things and why I'm doing things. I feel like, yeah, I've just taken a lot more time lately to understand the science of it and I can see how beneficial it is now. And so, yeah, it's it's been very much needed in my life lately. I have been really doing a lot of exploring of it and understanding of it and implementing it. And so I thought today's episode, I would share with you why it is so beneficial and the science behind inner child work. Okay. So if you would like to skip my little life update and just get into the information of this podcast, I will not be offended. You may do that at around nine and a half minutes, 10 minutes. So skip to there. I have had a very big week in my personal life. Um, it's been a tough week. I feel like a lot of them have been tough lately, but I feel like this has kind of been the point where I've kind of said enough is enough and I need to make some decisions that have been very difficult and very painful, but very, very necessary to move forward. And I'm being very skeptical about what those decisions are because I'm clearly not ready to speak about it. It's been... (laughs) very recent and a lot to lot to deal with but a few big big decisions have happened all at once and um those decisions are big changes to my life and big changes to what I know as comfortable and whilst I'm very excited to see what the next level brings I you know I think that and I've spoken about this a couple of episodes now but 
I know that I'm the type of person that I'll be like, okay, cool, and I'll make this decision and then I'll make it knowing that it's going to benefit me in the long run and so I'll just kind of jump into the next level and be like, okay, cool, I've made this decision. It's time to move to the next level now, right? Whereas I think with these things lately, I really, really need to actually give myself the space to heal and give myself the space to feel sad and feel hurt. And I just, yeah, like I said, I just have a tendency to when something like this happens or I try and, you know, make a decision that I know is going to benefit me, I will just only focus on the positives and I'll only just see how it benefits me and I'll see like, you know, now, okay, cool, I can put more energy into me and I'll release this and that means I'll be able to do more in my business and all of these things where I have basically just, yeah, needed to take some time. I need to feel that it hurts. I need to feel that it's a massive change. I need to feel the discomfort and I need to allow myself to be sad. So that's just what I'm doing now. I actually, um, I've decided that I'm going to do kind of like a 28 day period of healing, period of hibernation. Um, You know, I I had a breakthrough breathwork session with Ella yesterday and I was talking to her about it all. And she was saying, you know, it's, it's 28 days until you don't feel that gravitational pull towards comfort or that particular comfort anymore. And so that was when I was like, okay, cool. 28 days, 28 days. I need to just focus on me. I need to feel sad. I need to go into hibernation. I need to do all the things that make me feel good. And I really just want to spend the next 28 days actually just focusing on healing my nervous system and teaching my nervous system how to come from a state of regulation because I feel like the comfort that I'm continuing to be drawn to is dysregulation, right? These situations that I have removed myself from. Okay. So I have ended, well, I have, I have distanced myself from two very significant relationships in my life in the last week. Very, very significant, probably two of the most significant relationships. And they were not easy conversations to have. They were very dysregulating. But what I'm distancing myself from is dysregulation in general. They are both situations where I am completely dysregulated and that is what I'm attracted to, right? That is what I'm attached to. That is my comfort because that's all I'm used to. Knowing that the dysregulation is what I'm used to and what I'm drawn to and what my body is going to feel that gravitational pull towards, my body's not used to regulation. My body is not used to being regulated and taking space and slowing down. It never has been. And that's not just with these particular relationships, but I've always been a go, go, go kind of person. I've always been keeping busy. I never, ever find myself taking space unless I'm being very, very intentional about it. And my body hates it. My body hates being regulated because for majority of my life, I have been dysregulated. So the 28 days for me is really about slowing down and healing my nervous system and going into hibernation and 
getting used to the feeling of being regulated, getting used to the feeling of relaxing, getting used to the feeling of calm, getting used to the feeling of safety in my own self because I have had safety in the external for a long time and I have relied on finding safety in the external for a long time. And so I realized that there was a really big lack of safety in myself and a really big lack of safety in looking after myself and having my own back because I always went to safety with somebody else. So that's what the next 28 days are going to be for me. And I am on day one <laughs> and we'll see how we go. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. I think something that came up for me in the, in the breakthrough session with Ella was, you know, I expected a lot of anger to come up. That's what I kind of went in there for. You know, if you've never kind of experienced a breakthrough session before, a lot of the time you will have a release at the end, right? Whether that is screaming into a pillow, whether that is, you know, lots of crying, it could be laughter, it could be movement of your body. Like it's just releasing in some way. And so what I expected for this session was a lot of anger to come up. I expected to feel really, really angry because that's I felt a lot of anger for a long time. Fuck, I am crying in a lot of podcast episodes lately. <laughs> anyway, I expected a lot of anger to come up because I've been feeling very, very angry, very angry. And that's how these um, kind of conversations happened through anger. And so I'm doing a lot of discovery about what anger is trying to tell me and I found that in the breakthrough session, instead of anger coming up, I just felt really, really sad, like really sad, which is obviously something that I have not felt for myself. I've, you know, used anger as a way to kind of mask that. So I felt a lot of sadness. I felt a lot of sadness in the fact that I don't feel safe with myself. I don't feel like I can rely on myself. And and obviously that's to an extent. I do, you know, feel safety within myself and I feel safety in my own company and all of those things. But there's just this level of my nervous system needing to be healed and my nervous system needing to find comfort in regulation and find comfort in calm and safe. So that is my challenge. Of course, I'm making it a challenge. Of course, I need to have the dopamine hits of successfully completing something. <laughs> um, but what is going to be really interesting is actually discovering what this does for my ADHD because a lot of um, symptoms in ADHD are similar to a dysregulated nervous system in general. And obviously, ADHD is a reason that a, a nervous system can be uh, dysregulated. But there are a lot of other reasons that you can be living with a dysregulated nervous system. And so it's going to be really interesting to discover what happens when I begin to heal my nervous system a lot more and when I begin to actually work on the healing of my nervous system and, and how that kind of plays out in my attention and my anger and my irritability and my mood and all of these things, right? Um, so I'm really excited for that. I'm excited to just experiment and I'm excited to feel. I'm excited to release. And yeah, so I will keep you updated on how that goes. Um, 
but that's really, really what's been happening in my personal life lately. That's a lot, that's the life update. I've very much been in just like decision making mode and very much, you know, in the last kind of everything that's kind of been happening in my world. I once I hit that realization of like, I actually haven't allowed myself to feel, I haven't allowed myself to be the quote unquote victim. I haven't allowed myself to just acknowledge everything properly. I just always try and push through. And I think once I came to that realization, it all came tumbling down. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just been a lot of like moving through that and that's just really been what my life has been. So that's the life update. Um, and as you'll get to know and get to hear, very, very relevant to today's conversation. So let's get into it. Okay. So before I actually start getting into today's conversation, I actually wanted to read you something that I read this morning. Basically in my morning routine, after I have been journaling and pulling my cards. I have actually started implementing just reading one essay from the book, um, 101 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think by Brianna Wiest. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, but basically what I do, I just pick up the book after I journal and I flip it open to a random page and I just read whatever essay it lands on. And I just do that basically just trusting that it's what I need to hear that day and it always fucking is. And today's was just so beautiful and just so in line with the journey that I'm on right now. And I think it'll be so beneficial for so many of you guys to hear as well. So this is the essay that I flipped through this morning and I just knew that I wanted to share it with you all on the episode today. The essay is called How to Know You've Evolved More Than You Give Yourself Credit For. And it says, it's hard to see how far along the path you've come while you're so focused on taking each step. You've probably had the experience of a third party commenting on how much you've changed and how much you've grown, but barely able to realize yourself only because you're with yourself each day. This is normal, but it's also the product of focusing on what's left to do rather than what you've already accomplished, which is why it's often hard to give yourself the credit that you really deserve. Here are a few little signs that you've evolved more than you realize. Number one, you have something in your life that you would have previously considered impossible or at least a dream come true. A degree, a partner, a dream job, a baby. Number two, you forget how much you've gone through simply because it doesn't cross your mind anymore. Your past seems like it happened in a different life. Number three, your criteria for a romantic type are all personality traits, not physical characteristics. Your idea of love has expanded beyond the feeling that sexual attraction gives you. Number four, you have more than just your problems to talk about with friends and more interests you than just gossip. You've learned that those conversations have very little to do with other people and absolutely everything to do with you. Number five, the worst happened and then it passed. You lost the person that you couldn't live without, but then you kept living. You lost your job and then you found another one. You began to realize that safety isn't in certainty, but in faith that you can simply keep going. Number six, you've created your own belief system, if not entirely and thoroughly questioned your existing one. You no longer subscribe to anything that doesn't resonate or make sense to you. 
Number seven, you're far more discerning of who you spend your time with. You value your closest friends more than you do the idea of a group. Number eight, you don't change any part of yourself, your personality, your opinions, or even your clothes based on whom you are going to be around. Number nine, you don't blame other people for your problems anymore. You don't choose to suffer because you assume that if you complain loudly enough, the universe will have to fix it. Number 10, you don't relate to a lot of your old friends anymore, but you can still keep in touch and appreciate the role that they once had in your life. Number 11, you're not worried about fitting in anymore. You sincerely don't want to be normal and you sincerely do not care about being cool. You now see that the cool kids usually don't get very far past high school. Number 12, you can talk about the problems in your life that you thought you'd absolutely never get over, and you can also talk about exactly how you got over them. 13, you stop and you enjoy life more often, rather than just sprinting from goal to goal and task to task. 14, you're highly skeptical of anything that's fed to you as being just the way things are. You're always open to the idea that there could be a different, better, kinder, more enlightened way to live, and you're always willing to at least try for that. And number 15, if you were to tell your younger self about the life you have now, they sincerely would not believe you. I love number 15 in particular, and that is the perfect segue into today's episode. But if that resonated with you as much as it resonated with me, I just found that so powerful this morning and I just encourage you to just take time to acknowledge all of the ways that you have evolved because there is so much power in doing that. But like I said, number 15, if you were to tell your younger self about the life you have now, they sincerely wouldn't believe you. Perfect segue into today's episode where we are going to talk about inner child work and I want to talk to you about the science and the strength and the power of inner child work. So first of all, for those of you who may not be across what inner child work is, or maybe you're not familiar with it, what is inner child work? I have the definition of it here for you. And it is that inner child work is a way to address our needs that haven't been met as children and heal the attachment wounds that we've developed. The inner child is a symbolic child version of you that can be talked to, saved, supported, and guided to help you make changes when living life and feel compassion for your current and past selves. To understand the science of inner child work and how it works, we actually need to start with the subconscious mind. And there are three key components of the subconscious mind that I am going to kind of break down to show you the science of inner child work. So the first key component, number one, your subconscious mind is your inner seven-year-old. So before the age of seven, we are fully subconscious human beings and everything that we learn before the age of seven is used to program who we are. Everything that we're told, everything that we observe, everything that we experience becomes our inner programming by the time we are seven years old. And it's not until we are actually past the age of seven that we start to develop a conscious mind. So you know how 
kids usually come out and say things that are, you know, quote unquote rude or something that you would never say, or they ask a million questions or they have, you know, no fear in say like climbing to the highest monkey bars at the park. They don't yet have the conscious programming to create that barrier and tell them that that thing is rude to say and maybe they shouldn't say it or they don't have the programming or the conditioning to have fear in climbing to the highest monkey bars at the park, right? They don't yet have the conscious programming to tell themselves that this is how it is and this is how it is and, and you should do this and you shouldn't do this, right? Because they are fully subconscious human beings. They are just functioning completely from their subconscious mind. And I always give this example in this context because of like this moment for me was such a huge realization in your subconscious mind and what it means. So I give this example all the time. Apologies if you've been in all of, you know, the courses where I talk about this or in the broadcast that I actually like spoke about it when it happened and you've heard this story a hundred times. But I just fucking love this story. It was so massive for me. When I was in Bali at the start of the year, I went on the fast boat to Lembongan Island and everyone tells horror stories about this fast boat. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a friend who has a story, like there's something always about this fast boat. There's always posts on the Bali pages about horrible experiences. You know, I remember when I went over with my mum and our friend, we were going to do it and then they saw the posts on the page and they were like, no, too scared. So there's po- there's lots of experiences, lots of horror stories, people getting sick, the boat flips, it capsizes, everyone has to jump out, like shit has happened. It's not exactly the smoothest journey on these boats. So There's been lots of occasions where shit has gone wrong. Anyway, I'm on this boat. It's very choppy. It's very fast. We are flying over waves. It's very unstable. It is very much not the most pleasant experience I've ever had. But in the seat in front of me, there was a woman who I would say was around her late 30s, early 40s. And she was curled up in her partner's lap. She had her face in her hands. And she would scream every time there was a bump or, you know, we went over a wave and she was crying to her partner. She was clearly very afraid and very panicked about the whole situation that was happening. And then next to me, across the aisle from me, was a little girl who was sitting with her mum. She probably would have been around four or five years old. And I shit you not, she was laughing her head off the whole boat ride. She loved it. She was having the best time. Every time we went over a wave and, you know, we were fully fucking airborne, she squealed with delight, right? She threw her hands up in the air like we were on a roller coaster. She was giggling. She was just beaming. She was having the time of her life for the whole boat ride. The difference between the lady in front of me and the little girl next to me was that the little girl was only seeing that situation for what it was in that very moment, right? She was having the time of her life. In her mind, she was only there. She was in that present moment, in the boat, on holiday with her family, flying up in the air and going fast and having an absolute ball, right? She was only focused on the moment and how she felt in the moment. However, the woman in front of me clearly had some kind of experience or some kind of conditioning to be afraid of what was happening. 
right? She has experienced or she has been told or she has observed something that has led her to developing a fear of that situation. She has probably heard horror stories. Maybe she was on one of the Bali Facebook pages, right? She might have had experiences herself of boats, right, that didn't go well. She knows that there is a possibility of capsizing. She knows that there is a possibility of going overboard. She has prior conditioning from experience and belief and observation. And so she sees what's happening in that very moment differently to what the little girl was seeing, right? So before the age of seven, we are taking in everything as fact, right? Everything is exactly how it is. Everything that we observe, everything that we experience, everything that we feel in that moment is exactly how it is when we're at that age, right? Everything we're told we see as truth. Every way in which we are treated, we see that as being right and that being just how it goes and what we deserve right? So before the age of seven, our brain is mainly operating in alpha theta brainwaves, right? Which provide direct access to the subconscious mind. And therefore, everything that we are taught to believe, think, behave, see, feel, everything is programmed in as real and true. And that becomes our subconscious programming right? The second and the third important keys to the subconscious mind, I'm combining the second and the third keys and the functions because they're very closely aligned to each other. And the example I'm going to give you, you'll see their their link, right? But the second and third important thing about the subconscious mind and understanding the science of inner child work is that the subconscious mind does not know what is real and what is imagined. And It thinks that everything that you are thinking about is happening for real in the present moment. It does not know any such thing as a past or a future or imagination. It thinks that everything that you are imagining, visualizing, thinking about, experiencing is real and it's happening right now. So if you think about all of those times that you've tossed and turned in bed thinking about something that you need to do tomorrow or remembering something embarrassing that happened to you years ago and you can't fall asleep, right, and these things that just keep playing out in your mind, it's because your subconscious thinks that those things that you're thinking about are happening for real and they're happening in that very moment. So that's why it keeps you awake, right? And that's why it dysregulates you. You feel all the feelings of stress. You feel the feelings of embarrassment. You feel the feelings of worry just like you would if it was happening for real because it thinks it's happening for real. Your subconscious mind assumes that it's happening right now and it's happening for real. So this is why things like visualization and visualization scripting is so beneficial the subconscious mind thinks everything that you're visualizing is happening for real and it's happening right now, right? And this is why inner child work is so beneficial. When you think a new thought, 
when you have a new belief, when you pick up a new habit or a new skill, you create a new neural connection in your brain. So the more you think about that thought, the more you think about that belief, the more you conduct that habit, the more you practice that skill, that neural connection is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger, right? When they say practice makes perfect, that is for real because you are strengthening those neural connections every time you practice that thing. And studies have shown that when you visualize doing something, you fire exactly the same neurons as if you were actually doing that thing, right? So let's say you have picked up a new skill Let's say you've just started doing Zumba. I did my first Zumba class this morning because I wanted to do something to stimulate my brain and move my body and I was getting bored of strength training. So I thought, let's try something new. And if you know me at all, you'll know that I have been known to be one of the most uncoordinated people a lot of people have ever come across. (laughs) So I chose something where I was going to have to fire coordination neurons. (laughs) I chose something where I was practicing a new skill of coordination. Tangent as well. Another reason I chose to do something like Zumba is because I love dancing. On the weekend, we had our ladies day and I had a realization that you will always find me dancing on stage in front of everyone and I don't care who's watching after a few seltzers, right? You will always find me dancing and just wanting to be the center of attention. So I thought, you know what? That shows me that there's a shadow in me. There's an inner part of me that loves to fucking dance. And alcohol always removes our barrier to hide shadows, right? And so that was that's dancing for me. That's a realization I had over the weekend. And it always removes the care about what anyone thinks of me when I'm up dancing on stage at the football club. So it's time to start integrating it into my life. That's some serious shadow work right there. (laughs) Anyway, let's say you pick up Zumba, right? I've picked up Zumba. It's a new skill. If I was to lay down tonight and visualize myself in that Zumba class, getting all of the moves right and sticking with the beat and doing it amazingly, and I'm visualizing this, right? Studies have shown that I will fire exactly the same neurons as if I were to actually go to Zumba. If I was to actually go to Zumba and practice those moves, I would fire exactly the same neurons as if I was to visualize it. Even if I was just laying in bed, thinking about the steps to a routine, visualizing myself doing those steps seamlessly, I will improve my skills at Zumba, which I think is really fucking cool, right? So just to recall, three important things about our subconscious that tie into inner child work are, number one, our subconscious is built around things that we have learnt, things that we've observed, things that we have been told until the age of seven, right? Number two, our subconscious does not know whether what we are thinking is real or whether we're imagining it. It just assumes it's real. And number three, our subconscious thinks that everything that we are thinking is happening in the present moment and it does not know past or future. So keeping that all in mind, 
Let's quickly, I think let's let's actually talk about how we do inner child work and what it is. And there are many, many ways that inner child work can be conducted and many different techniques, but I'll share a couple of ideas with you so that we can actually get a look at why they're beneficial now that we know all of the things that we know about the subconscious. Doing inner child work involves revisiting situations that have happened to us, um, visualizing conversations with our younger selves, um, I guess speaking to ourselves in the moment as a four, five, six-year-old, thinking about that version of us in the decisions that we make, or exploring how we feel as that younger version of ourselves and exploring what we needed in that moment and giving it to us, right? So let's say there's an event or something in particular that comes up for you, right? It's a memory of something that happened or a conversation or maybe something that you continuously experienced as a child. Going back to this moment, specifically this moment or the thing that you experienced over and over again, right? Going back to this in a meditation or a journal session or a visualization and asking yourself questions like, what was happening? Who was around you? What were the sounds? What can you see? What can you smell? What are you feeling? What are your emotions? What is upsetting you? What do you need those around you to say? What did you need the adults around you to say to you? What do you want to say to those around you? Right? You're getting really deep into visualizing that event or that particular thing. And you get to actually reprogram that event in your subconscious. Maybe when that particular thing happened in real life, right? Maybe you felt abandoned, you felt unloved, you felt like you didn't matter. And so you're still holding on to all of those feelings of abandonment and burden because these are the ways you were made to feel as a child. And remember, as a child, everything that we feel and experience we know to be true and correct. So all of those ways that we were made to feel, we are programmed to believe that that's what we we deserved, that that's how we were deserved to feel. That's how we were seen. That was our truth. When you do something like a visualization where you're getting really, really deep into these moments, you're going back to the moments You're going back into your subconscious and when you're visiting those moments, again, your subconscious thinks that this is all happening right now. So you're visualizing hearing something that you needed to hear in that moment. Maybe you needed the adult in this situation to tell you that they loved you and that you're not a burden and that you don't deserve to be abandoned. And so instead... You go back to this moment and you tell yourself all of these things. You tell that little seven-year-old version of yourself all of these things. So your subconscious then sees what's happening and it begins to actually change the programming of these feelings of being unloved and being a burden to everything that you're telling that version of yourself in this new moment that you're creating because this is the new programming that you are programming into your subconscious. Remember that it doesn't know what's real or imagined. 
It doesn't know what's happening in the past or right now. For all it knows, the moment that you're visualizing is real and true and exactly how it happens, right? Everything that you're told is true. Everything that you're made to feel is true. You're teaching your subconscious all of these new feelings of love and worth and that you're not a burden. Another way, another way that I do it and another thing, this was actually recommended to me to do by Ella, my breathwork coach, and also my psychologist recommended this years ago, but avoidance. (laughs) Anyway, but it's to have a photo of yourself as a young child, right? Have a photo of yourself in places where you always look. Whenever I you know, when I started doing inner child meditations and, you know, guided meditations and journaling and all of those things, and I was told to picture a version of myself that that needed that thing in that particular moment, I just always imagined myself in my little school uniform with my broad brim hat on. That's just always what I pictured. And so I went back and I found a photo of myself in my school uniform with my broad brim hat on. And I now have that photo of myself as my phone background. So have it in places where you're always going to look, on the fridge, on the mirror, in your bathroom, and just talk to them. Talk to that version of yourself, right? Whenever you catch sight of that photo of yourself, remember that all of the belief that you have of yourself, you're actually talking about him or her. And show that version of yourself everything that you've achieved, right? Going back to the essay that I just read you, imagine all of these things. Imagine that version of yourself seeing all of the things that you've created in your life and imagine what that version of yourself would think of you right now, of everything that you're doing. Imagine the programming that you are putting into your subconscious, right? You are going back and you are going to that version of your younger self and you are showing that version of yourself everything that you've achieved. You are changing the beliefs that she has in herself because you're showing her what's possible. You're showing her what you've done. Of course, she's going to be reprogrammed to think the fucking world of you. And I say she because I'm just talking about my experience, but obviously whatever is your version, your younger version of yourself, right? So... Imagine showing her everything that you have achieved. Imagine the programming that's going to go on inside her subconscious, showing her that everything that you've done is possible, showing her what you've created. You are reprogramming the belief in yourself by doing that. Better yet, and this is a very big reason as to why my, you know, all of the things have have changed in my life lately, but look at that photo of yourself and make decisions for that version of yourself, right? The decisions that I've made in my life recently came about because I looked at that version of myself and I remembered what that five-year-old wanted. I remembered what that five-year-old experienced I remember how she was made to feel. I remember what she observed growing up and what she was taught to think of herself. And and I take a look at that, the way that this version of me now 
has been treated and I started to make decisions for her instead, knowing what she deserved, knowing what she wanted for her life. I knew that if that little girl was watching me experiencing what I was experiencing, you know, yes, she would see what I've achieved and what I'm doing and that's amazing, but she would also see all of the other ways that I was letting myself down and she she doesn't deserve that. So there is a reason why inner child work is so fucking powerful because when you are visiting your inner child, that inner child is still a part of you, right? That inner child is your subconscious right now. So when you're visiting that inner child, when you are having a conversation with her, when you are understanding what she needs and what she believes, you get to reprogram your subconscious beliefs. You get to reprogram your thoughts and your ideas and your experiences and you get to, using science, see how those experiences you had as a child affect the way that you live right now and you actually get to take back control of what those experiences were and what they meant for you and the way they made you feel and you get to actually move forward reprogramming that subconscious to believe everything that you want to believe and to have all the thoughts that you want to think. You get to fully fucking reprogram your subconscious and I think that is really, really fucking powerful. So that is the science behind inner child work. That is why inner child work is so powerful and it's been really powerful for me, as I'm sure you can tell. (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you enjoyed understanding the science behind inner child work. I hope that has shed some light on how powerful inner child work may be for you as well and if it might be something that you would like to visit as well if you haven't already. If you think that there is someone who would benefit from this episode, please do me a favor and share it with them. The more people that I can help, the more I am fulfilling my purpose in life and that is the most powerful thing to me. So have a wonderful week. Love you, bye. Bye.